On today's episode, uh, we meet the man behind the medal. That's right, John Coleman has arrived at Essendon. The Lakeside pennant this year has a bit of extra bite. Geelong start to show some real promise, uh, while we have an interesting top-of-the-table leader at the end of the home-and-away season. Norm Smith has his first test of coaching, while Jock McHale has his last. We say goodbye to one of the legends of the game, and Carlton continue their odd and even season rise and fall. Uh, all this and so much more after the song. It's the history of football we knows about And we want to expand what we know We'll become such intelligent gentry With every kick-to-kick show Beginning in the time 1870s Right through to the modern day Timmy Coops and the Kazman to hear what they all have to say. Welcome to the Kick to Kick podcast, the Australian rules football podcast that takes a deep dive into the history of the league. Um, we have no real qualifications to bring you the show other than a thirst for knowledge, a desire to relive the past, and a pretty big bookshelf collection, a book collection. Um, today it's just Charlie and I so far on Zoom. How are you doing, Charlie? Great. Great feeling it, you know. What are we? <laughs> Three and a half weeks in, no, a couple of weeks into stage four lockdown, but we've been at home for about five weeks. So slowly losing my mind, but you know, parts yeah. of it are still there. Uh, we, we are expecting Kaz and Moz, I think, at some stage. Hopefully. So they may join in. If not, I'm sure we'll, lit- if, if not, they'll send snippets in and you'll we'll cut them in later on. Yeah, and pretend they were there the whole time. Um, also, hello, listeners in uh, South Africa, Turkey, the Czech Republic. And uh, the U.S. state of New Mexico. Oh, lovely. Maybe, uh, I know you were in New Mexico last year, Charlie. Maybe you, you slowly leaked it out over there. I was, maybe. Yeah, maybe, you know, at a few few of the bars around Santa Fe, just <laughs> just throwing it out there. Excellent. Um, so, let's quickly get into some uh, some history, Charlie. Absolutely. Well, what was the song of the year, Timmy? The hit, the hit song. Good question. It was uh, Vaughan Munro and his orchestra with a song called Riders in the Sky. Oh, I know that one. Brackets, a cowboy legend. Yeah, yeah later on popularised by Johnny Cash. Yeah, yeah, that's a classic. And his orchestra. That's an interesting one. I love yeah. Not yeah. many people have orchestras mm. these days. No, unfortunately. All right, well, Timmy, would you like to hear some of the things that happened in 1949? You know it. Oh, excellent. Along with some births, absolutely. Yeah, perfect. Some people were born. I've tried to thin down the list a little bit. I feel like because of the war and stuff, there's been you know lots and lots to talk about, so I don't want it to drag along too much. We are a football podcast after all. We are, yeah. yeah. So, 1st of January, uh, the UN-sponsored ceasefire brought an end to the Indo-Pakistani war. Uh, which resulted in a stalemate and the division of Kashmir. So that's still continuing today from 1940, from that time. Yeah. Um, Kashmir still still sort right. of separate, a separate state. Um, on the 25th of January, the very first Emmy Awards were presented at the Hollywood Athletic Club. Mm. On the 26th of January, Australian citizenship came into being. There hadn't been any citizenship before the 26th of January this year. which is quite interesting and on the same day the constitution of india was prepared as we know last year the british uh gave it back shall we say um on the 24th of march the 21st academy award ceremony was held and the movie hamlet won the academy award for best picture 
Um, on the 18th of April, the Republic of Ireland formally became a republic and left the British Commonwealth. So quite a few uh, different places leaving the British Commonwealth at this stage. Yeah, def- definitely fallout from World War Two and all the you know. The that British- was it. Yeah, it all it all happened. Uh, on the 8th of June, the dystopian novel 1984 by George Orwell was first published in London foreseeing quite a few things that have happened since. Uh, On the 3rd of August, the Basketball Association of America and the National Basketball League finalised the merger that will create the NBA. Mm. Just a young buck of a league, really. Absolutely. Uh, On the 1st of October, People's Republic of China was officially proclaimed. And on the next day, surprise, surprise, the Soviet Union recognised the People's Republic of China. So, uh, yeah, interesting. and on, yeah, nice. on the 18th of December, in the NFL, the Philly Eagles defeated the LA Rams 14-0 to win the the championship, the Super Bowl at that time. So there we go. That was 1949 nice in a nutshell. Have you got a Melbourne Cup winner for us? I don't. Hang on, I've got to look that up. We need that. That's that's usually that's usually something yeah, it you is. Know. It is. You're absolutely right. I need that. I can't believe I, I forgot it. That's ridiculous. I, my apologies. While I'm finding it, I'll let me tell you about who was born in this year. Uh, so on the 10th of January, we had George Foreman, the heavyweight bo- boxer and grill aficionado. Master. <laughs> <laughs> um, on the 11th of January, we had the great man, the great Australian singer, Daryl Braithwaite of Horses fame. And Sherbet. Um, yes, yeah, exactly. Uh, on the 24th of January, John Belushi, the comedian and actor and, and blues brother. Yes. Uh, on the 22nd of Feb, we had Nicky Lauda, the Austrian uh, triple Formula One world champ who drove for Mercedes, I believe. Um, I don't know, but yes, I, I know yeah. who he is. On the 25th of Feb, Ric Flair, the professional wrestler. Woo! Yeah, exactly. Gotta love him. Nature boy. Nature, <laughs> nature boy, Ric Flair, absolutely. On this March the 7th, uh, Yibbity Yibbida, Rex Hunt was born. On the 9th of May, we had Billy Joel, the piano man himself. On the 13th of June, Red Simons of Skyhooks and then ABC, uh, Hey Hey It's Saturday, all the, you know, all the classics. On the 15th of June, now this is yep. this is one of my faves and this is probably someone that not many people are going to know, but Jim Varney. Do you know who Jim Varney is, Tim? Uh, I recognise the name. Uh, is it something to do with cartoons? Hey, no, he was, he was an actor in kids' movies. He played Ernest in all those movies, like <laughs> like Ernest Goes to Camp and stuff. I love Jim Varney. He's great. <laughs> uh, that was just for me. And uh, on the 22nd of June, we had Meryl Streep. Uh, on the 1st of July, another Australian uh, classic, John Farnham. Barnsey and Daryl Braithwaite. The voice. Yeah, in the same year. Can you believe it? Please tell me Jimmy Barnes is uh, that year as well. Oh, if only. I think he's. A li- I think he was a little bit earlier. On the 25th okay. of August, we had Gene Simmons, the Israeli American Rock Museum from Ki- uh, musician from Kiss. On uh, here we go. On the third. Is he okay? On the 31st of August, we've got Richard Gere, the actor. On the 23rd of September, Bruce Springsteen. The boss. The boss. On the 3rd of November, Anna Wintour, the fashion journalist and editor-in-chief of Vogue. 
who Meryl Streep yeah. basically played in a movie as well. So a bit of a connection there. Yeah. On the yeah. 1st of December, Pablo Escobar, the Colombian drug lord. Mm. And on the 22nd of December, and I'm very sad that Kaz isn't here for this one, but the twins, Mar- Maris and Robin Gibb, were born of the oh. BGs. Very sad. Yes. We'll let him know. We'll have to. Um, uh, of course, our, our listeners probably don't realise that Kaz was once in a BGs tribute yeah. band. Oh, yeah. So, of course. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's why it's so great. Um, and Timmy. <laughs> Fox yeah. Army won the 1949 uh, Melbourne Cup. Fantastic. New Zealand, New Zealand bred thoroughbred Fox Army. I'm I'm just beginning to realise we're not far off my parents being born, like in our timeline. Like that's how close. Because well, I remember when we, when we started, the the people were so. I know, old, I know. We hardly any of them were alive. No, well, this is and now they're all like. Still there, kicking around. It's, it's only there'd be seventy one. This is it. But this is what I was going to say. My, like we did last year, nineteen forty eight. That was the year my old man was born. So there you go. There you go. And he's a Melbourne supporter. Absolutely. It worked out perfectly for him. I, I, he just didn't get to watch that one, yeah. unfortunately. Um, he got a few others to to witness, though. Luckily. Yeah. Exactly. Um, good. So let's get to some league news then. Yes, tell us what was happening in the league. Uh, so early on, the VFA ratified an agreement with the VFL over player transfers um, with uh, players not being able to cross without a permit now. Okay, so when you're saying ratified, so this is obviously something that had come up. This is something we talked about earlier about them putting it together. Well, yeah. Well, for the last, what is it, 12 or so years, it's they've just been poaching VFL players with all that money, but now they kind of, they're, they're back to having transfer fees and, and uh, being agreed upon by both teams. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's good. Yeah. Um, Brings the leagues hopefully back together a little bit again. Well, it's interesting because um, the league secretary, LH McBrien predicted that two leagues would merge within 10 years. Oh, wow. Can you imagine? No, no. But can you imagine if, we'd, if we had a league with what, 30 teams or something? I think they were always talking about the promotion relegation system. Yeah, but interesting, yeah. very interesting. Mm. Um, the VFL approved the rise in player payments uh, from round four onwards. They would receive uh, four pounds a match rather than three. So it's creeping up. You know, I guess inflation is is yeah. Now mid-season, the Vicks, the Vicks, uh, the Big V played South Australia, and they won. Despite it being quite close early on, the Vicks won 144 to 57. Um, also during this time, though, the league clubs went out and played different teams. So Geelong played the Hampton League, Fitzroy played Central Goulburn Valley, Footscray played Mid Murray, mm-hmm. Melbourne played a combined Ballarat, Collingwood played Mildura, and Essendon and Carlton played an exhibition game in Brisbane. Yes, yeah. And we'll get to a bit more of that later on. Uh, Bruce Andrew, former Collingwood we'll player, uh, World War One, uh, World War Two soldier, was asked to be the first national director of the ANFC, which he accepted. Yeah. Um, in August, there was a tram strike that kept the ray and an estimated fifty thousand people from games, which was probably a frustrating thing. Fifty thousand people in total. Apparently, yeah. yeah. From one weekend, which is. Oh, in one know. weekend. Yeah, yeah that's massive. Know. Yeah. Significant, yeah. Um, Perth 
Perce Bentley, Carlton coach, predicted a golden age of football was coming, saying that the kids of today would leave champions of 20 years ago standing for pace and bamboozle them with their science. Which is quite a, um, uh, you know, well, well sort of seen by him, I guess. Like that, that really sort of did start to happen. I mean, there's a few outliers, obviously, from in any era that would fit, but generally the fitness, the strength and stuff did really start picking up around this time, didn't it? It, it did, absolutely. But could you not say that about any... Yeah, you probably... I mean, yeah, I guess. You probably could, couldn't you? Well, all, I mean... Things are always improving. Do you think... There's, there's certain points, though, in the game where you think there's there's been massive jumps, right? Like, you think about the real professional era now, as even compared to, say, the 90s, is it was yeah. a huge jump. But maybe, like, the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, probably not so large a jump, yeah. if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, probably right. Um, and I just I thought we might start doing some more umpire debuts. Yeah, so some umpires umpires that played this season that started this season were William Merrington and Harry Mayle. Lovely. I hope they do well. But also there was one that we there was one we forgot to mention last year who started named Harry Bitesell, um, who we'll get Kaz to drop in a little soundbite. But he was quite a prominent umpire um, and media personality, so we'll get him. To oh, perfect. Add some stuff. Sounds good. Yes, boys. Umpire Harry Bitesell. After playing several games with Fitzroy Seconds late in World War II, Beatsell fell into umpiring by accident after his boss, who also happened to be in charge of recruiting umpires for VFL, suggested he give it a try. For a while, he juggled both umpiring and playing until his coach Fitzroy advised him to stick with umpiring. (laughs) He progressed quickly through the umpiring ranks and umpired his first VFL game late in 1948 season, Age just 21. That is a fantastic effort, isn't it? From his, from his very first game, Beatsell made it a habit to visit the players in the rooms afterwards. He didn't drink, but would get to know the players over a lemonade. Explain the... That's, that's a very umpiring thing to do. Explain the decisions he made during the game and candidly admit when he'd got one wrong. Maybe the occasional one. Following his retirement, he took up a role in the media in, from the 1961 season. He covered football for 3AW and 3AK and ABC radio stations, as well as writing for the Herald Sun, The Truth, The Sunday Telegraph, and The Australian. He also worked on television for the ABC and The Nine Network. All right, and let's... Uh, so, Charlie, let's work our way up the ladder, starting at the bottom. and Starting at the bottom, and who... Who would you imagine is at the bottom of the ladder? Number 12 down there. Well, Who we else? know St Kilda, St Kilda have been there for 32 weeks straight or something ridiculous. Oh, you're absolutely right. But, I mean, if it's not going to be St Kilda, it could only be one other team at this stage, which we're going to embrace for as long as we possibly could, and that is Hawthorne. Hawthorne. So coming in 12th with uh, three wins and 16 losses, uh, captain coached again by Alec Alberston. Their lead goal kicker again was Butch Pryor with 48 and their best and fairest winner was Cole Austin. Um, so, round one, uh, they played Essendon and they ran into a bit of a brick wall by the name of John Coleman. <laughs> yes. But we will talk more about this when we get to Essendon because it's really an Essendon story. Absolutely. Um, even worse was to follow. They had an 89-point loss to Richmond and then a 105-point shellacking from Carlton. That's a really rough start to the season, though, playing... 
Essendon, Richmond and Carlton first three rounds. That's really going to throw your confidence away, isn't it? Yeah, they lost their first eight games, actually. They didn't win until round nine when they uh, they held the Doggies scoreless in the last quarter to win by 10 points. Nice. Um, but then the week after, I mean, the way the fickle thing that football is, round 10, they smashed Geelong by 86 points in Geelong. Interesting. Where we know they haven't usually had much luck. No, but I mean... Um, yeah. Round eleven. I was going to say Geelong. Geelong haven't had a, an easy time down in Geelong recently either. Remember they were talking about moving back to Carrio, so maybe you know. True. Uh, round eleven, the Hawks trailed the Saints by thirty-nine points at halftime, and Alberston, the coach, lost it, telling the players to hand in their jumpers unless they started performing. Um, during this time, he read out a telegram from champion Kevin Curran, who was in hospital with a broken jaw. Uh, this inspired the Hawks, and they rallied for a sensational eight-point victory, kicking ten goals to three in the second half. Perfect. And they uh, they ran over the top by eight points. Uh, in the return match against Essendon, they lost uh, by 70 points, but it was a match where they became the first team since 1899 to not kick a behind. They kicked seven goals straight. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, I was reading about that the other day. So since... 80, so since since eighteen ninety nine, so what we're talking fifty years beforehand. Incredible, yeah. no one's done it. But I mean, I mean, even the. Seven. I mean, we know in the twenty twenty season we're actually having a pretty accurate season, but I don't think we've had we haven't had a game where anyone's kicked no points yet. No, exactly. And we've look, come close. What what would you rather kick ten two or seven seven nothing? I. What are you going to take? I mean, well, bad kicking did cost the Bombers the grand final in forty eight, didn't it? True, very true. Yeah. Uh, now, round 17, they snapped the five-round, uh, five-match losing streak against traditional mates in the cell at North Melbourne. Um, so, North Melbourne had shocked everyone and were two games clear on top, but Hawks played out of their skins in front of the uh, the home crowd and managed to get the win. That's incredible. 18-point uh, win, which stunned the football world. It was their third and final victory of the season. Yeah, so it was a, a pretty frustrating season for them again. Uh, Cole Austin had been brilliant despite his back injury. Uh, their president, Dr. Jonah, retired at season's end. Um, or Dr. Jonah retired to re- decided to retire at the end of the season after 18 years as president and 25 as the doctor. Um, the board decided to relieve him of coaching, Alberson of coaching duties, uh, but hoped he would be able to serve the club for many years to come. But uh, I'll leave this on a bit of a cliffhanger. There's a massive fallout from this in 1950. Uh, very interesting. I'm looking forward to hearing about that at the start of the 1950 episode, which then, yeah, leads us on to 11. So with four wins and 15 losses, just pipping uh, Hawthorne there is perennial losers and Kilda at this stage. Uh, Captain by Fred Breen, coached by Fred Froud. Their lead goalkeeper was John McDonald with uh, 33 and their BNF was... Jim Ross. Yeah. Um, look, not a lot of highlights, although there is one... Actually, there's two real highlights I want to get to. Um, they lost their first... Mm-hmm. Oh, what is that? A lot. They, <laughs> they lost a lot of games to start with. Round seven, they <laughs> lost to Carlton, um, but 19-year-old Jack McDonald kicked seven of the team's eight goals. Um, especially impressive playing on fullback Ollie Grieve, who was quite renowned as a tough fullback. Absolutely. Um Round 11, he kicked six goals and a loss to, to Hawthorne. So they, they've probably found one there in, uh, in old McDonald or young McDonald. <laughs> uh, now, this next piece of information is from Russell Holmesby's St Kilda book. 
Um, the club was roused to fury mid-season, and I'll quote the book. Um, South Melbourne attempted to claim the services of Jim Ross, who had already played four seasons with St Kilda on a residential technicality. Yeah. Um, so they, they tried to claim him as like he was a resident of South Melbourne, technically. Um, there, were, there were bitter exchanges between the clubs until South Melbourne rather shamefacedly withdrew their interest in, uh, in, in the interest of football and inter-club relations and the player. Um, but... As you can imagine, Charlie, yeah. this would make the uh, the Lakeside Pennant a, a really big, meaningful one. So um, the next Lakeside Pennant was happening round thirteen, um, and this whole situation proved to be the inspiration for their breakthrough win of the season. Oh, brilliant! The the Jim Ross Medal, the Saints, as it should be now known. Yeah, the Saint <laughs> the Saints won by twenty points. Peter Bennett kicked five. Uh, the Saints overcame a seven goal to three opening quarter. Um, to take the pennant back for the first time in years. Yeah, well, that's it. I mean, the, the, the tally's become very one-sided, hasn't it? So it's good, yeah, good for the Saints to get one. It has. But I, I wonder whether some of that yep. bad blood, probably not, but is, is a hangover from um, um, Kazali moving across as well, you know, South Melbourne just pinching players. Well, that wasn't a – they didn't poach him. He wanted to leave. Yeah, but still, yeah, interesting. Um, but there's definitely a bit of rivalry there if you dig a little yeah. bit deeper. Yeah, that lakeside rivalry, especially both both yeah. being on Albert Park. Yeah. Um, also, mid-season, Jack Meehan, a player, threatened to quit uh, to quit after being disgusted with the way that some of the management had treated players. He threatened that others would work would walk too, but um, nothing really came of this. Before too long, he apologised, and all was forgotten. Oh, good. Round 15 and 16, they had a two-game winning streak. They beat Richmond and Geelong. <laughs> <laughs> um, but their biggest win for the season, despite apart from the Lakeside Pennant, was round 19, last one of the season, playing Collingwood. They were playing Collingwood, who Love this. were second on the ladder. Definitely, you know, they won this game. They could possibly finish on top. Um, but it was an upset, biggest upset of the season. A superior second half saw St Kilda win by nine. Peter Bennett kicked four, Jim Ross three. Uh, the young players were standouts in this game. Phillips played superbly, as did Drinian, Rosewarn, and Alan Greenshields. One writer wrote, I've written many criticisms of St Kilda and have meant every word of it, but now for the first time in years, I am convinced that St Kilda have a united front and are determined that their wretched, haggling past has to be forgotten. Love it. Yeah. Good times. Just being able to... To pull together just to knock off their old foe in Collingwood and, and ruin the double chance for them. I love that. Perfect. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so good. So moving up to 10th on the ladder with six wins and 13 losses, uh, we've got ca- uh, South Melbourne, captained by Bert Lucas and coached by Jack Hale. Their lead goal kicker was Ray Jones with a paltry 27. Uh, and their best and fairest winner was Ron Clegg, not surprisingly, this year. Um, yeah, so Hale had obviously impressed enough last season after taking over from Bull Adam, so they they kept him on as coach. Yeah. Um, so some debutants as well for, for Kaz's list. Uh, Ron Pays and Jim Taylor. Kaz, can you tell us a little bit about uh, Jim Taylor? Okay, Jim Taylor from South Melbourne at 191 centimetres and 87 kgs. Taylor was an outstanding schoolboy athlete and displayed great talent both as a sprinter and a high jumper whilst at Caulfield Grammar School. He was recruited to South and made his debut in round 16 for the Swans. Uh, He played both as a defender 
mainly centre-half back, and Ruckman, and was a regular in both Victoria and South Melbourne uh, teams during the next decade. Now, the appointment of Bert Lucas would be a controversial one. Yeah, because, interesting. Because uh, Jack... Jack Graham, who had been captain for the last few seasons, uh, took exception to that. He actually took it as a slight and only played four games uh, and left. He, so he, after round six, when they played Richmond, he left and didn't return to the club. Um, and he's also related to Ben Graham, the Geelong footballer and the American footballer. Yeah. Oh, the kicker. There you go. That's Interesting. Um so, yeah, I mean, I, I guess it's interesting, isn't it? It seems to happen a little bit, you know, players being replaced as captain or even as coach while they're still playing and then continuing to play. So, yeah, obviously, most of the time they managed to do it in a at least semi-amicable way, but this time it obviously didn't work out that way. Um, so, yes, the Swans won their first game in round two after Carlton had mauled them in round one. So, yeah, round, round two was the first of the Lakeside Pennants. Uh, in this one, they beat South, they beat St Kilda only by three points, so it was quite a close tussle. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and then so following a round nine stirring win over Essendon, the Swans then lost eight in succession, and it wasn't until round eighteen where they beat Hawthorne for their only other win of the season. Um, they won by five goals in that game. Larry Spokes with four. As we said, they lost the second Lakeside pennant after trying to poach uh, Jim Ross for St Kilda. Yeah. Um, and due to the poor season that they had, uh, Hale lost his job at the end of the season. Although he was said to be sick of the club, especially the committee, and had resigned before he was pushed, I say in quotation marks. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. There's obviously a bit going on off the field down at uh, down at South Melbourne. Yeah. Um, there was one highlight for the, for the Swans, though, which hopefully Moz will uh, tell us about later on. Absolutely. Continuing the tradition of... Um, potentially not having great years, but managing to uh, to have some excellent players on the field. Mm, which <laughs> happened more often back in the olden days rather than now. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so that moves us up to ninth on the ladder. So in coming in ninth with seven wins and 12 losses, we have Footscray, the Tricolours, the Bulldogs, uh, cap- captain coach and league goal yes. kicker was Arthur Oliver with 28. And their best and fairest winner was Wally Donald. Uh, this year actually start, started um, yes. their sort of embracing of the of the immigrants around the West. Timmy, did you hear about this? Okay, really, I did. So um, they tried to bring them into the fold by around town creating bulldogs posters printed in German and in, in Polish wow. and in different languages that said, "So new Australians are." can play and know and follow the Australian national football game. So that's a, it's a very strong uh, heritage that the Bulldogs have in, in, you know, embracing um, that, that community. And obviously we're getting that influx of, um, of immigrants from Asia, uh, from the, from, from Europe, sorry. From World War. Yeah. Yeah. From World War Two. Yeah. But they, but as, but as you said, they do continue that with um, the immigrants from Asia when, when that does come up in this, in the fifties and sixties. Absolutely. Um, yeah, so it's, it's really interesting what, what the Bulldogs are doing. So since 1942, they have a habit of playing finals then having a slump. So the last uh, what few more seasons, it's gone. they've gone 4th, 6th, 4th, 5th, 3rd, 9th, 4th, 9th. Crazy. So every second year they're in finals, every other year they're not. That reminds me of Melbourne in the late 90s and early 1000s. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, now, following their round two win over Geelong, in which they stormed home in the last quarter, they had a seven-game losing streak. Ah. They lost seven games straight. Um, finally, luckily, they played St Kilda in round 10, whom they beat by 21 points. Bob Templeton kicked six for them. Uh, then they had sudden wins over Carlton and Richmond, and they'd won three in a row. Uh, the season might have been salvageable, uh, but it wasn't to be. Uh, the end of the season saw them lose, saw them win six of their last ten to finish with a bit more of a respectable record, but still quite the drop on the previous season's fourth place. Um, the highlight of the season, probably the two-point win over Melbourne in round 14. Uh, this game had them uh, with grand positional play and quick thinking by Bill Wood in the centre and LB Linton paved the way for Footscray's final burst, which oh, was a two-point well, victory. Yeah. Eight seconds before the final bell. Yeah, but you know, always love a always love a close one with a goal right at the end. They it's great. They knocked you guys knocked you guys off by two points. Good for football. So moving up to eighth, eighth we have uh, the Cats Geelong with nine wins and ten losses, um, captained by Jim Fitzgerald at the beginning of the year, and then uh, the captaincy was handed over to Tom Morrow. They were coached by Reg Hickey. And their lead goal kicker was Lindsay yes. White, best and fairest Fred Flanagan. Um, so you said coached by Reg Hickey, yeah? Yes. Yeah, so he's uh, he's come back to the fold, which is quite interesting because he coached them in thirty two, yeah, then thirty six to forty. So he hasn't been he hasn't been with them for years. Yeah. So I'm um, yeah, I'm just not something I'd thought about until now. Is where has he been all this time? Yeah, good question, actually. Because he's uh, he's one of those renowned figures of Geelong, isn't he? Like yeah, they're synonymous with each other because we know the success they have yeah. coming up soon, and he's he's their revered player. So yeah, I'm just where he I'm went. Curious where he is, where he's been. Yeah. Um. So Captain Jim Fitzgerald started the year, but he actually resigned the captaincy partway through the season due to his lack of form and uh, in a very Jack Watts style way, he dropped himself to the seconds. Yeah, very interesting. Right? It's just, it takes a, a very humble man to do something like that, doesn't it? Especially his captain. Mm, and so in his place, Tom Morrow took over. All right, so some debutants for Geelong, and because this might be some for you to look at. Uh, we've got Warren Canning, Barry Bretland, Alan Hickenbotham, that's a good name, Jack Condon, no relation to Dick, and uh, Neil Trezise. Tre- um, can you tell us more about Neil, please, Kaz? Yes, Neil Nipper Trezise. Nipper grew up in Ballarat where he played um, for Ballarat High School football and cricket teams, competed in athletics. Then he went to Ballarat Teachers College. He played for Redden before being recruited by Geelong. When he joined the Cats, Neil was the youngest and smallest player. Coach Reg Hickey called him Nipper and it stuck, no doubt. Uh, In his playing years, he travelled from Ballarat to Geelong on train. Um... His mum packed him a sandwich to eat on the way. He would walk around Eastern Beach to fill in time, then walk to Cadinia Park, play football, walk back to the railway station and catch the train back to Ballarat. Um, so round one, they absolutely smashed Melbourne, the reigning premiers, by 62 points. White and brown, merging to make a murky kind of brownish colour, kicked the combined 15 goals. <laughs> Um, with wins over South Melbourne, Fitzroy and St Kilda, they sat third on the ladder with four wins and one loss, but then had a four-game losing streak. In round eight, in Geelong's narrow loss to Richmond, acting captain Tom Morrow suffered a bruised thigh and he was out, which meant 
they had no captains. So before the round nine match against Collingwood, the team were asked to choose a captain for the day. And second year player Bernie Smith was elected for the match. You're kidding. So the, the playing um, group. However, yeah, yeah. there you go. So Collingwood would win that match. Uh, but midweek, they took a vote on the captain for the rest of the season. Um, and it took a bit of digging to actually find out the result of this. It was Tom Morrow. Uh, he was voted captain for the rest of the season. Um, and thank you to uh, Black Cat 1859 for uh, helping me out on Twitter to find that. Oh, fantastic. Love that. Round 11 was a damp, cold day. And many fans stayed away to listen to the uh, the match against Essendon. They didn't give themselves much chance. However, the Cats scored six goals, three in the opening quarter. And more and more fans started to appear. So they started with about 5,000 at the ground. By half time, there was about 17,300. So they'd listened to the first quarter and heard that it was going okay and, and jumped on the tram or the train or whatever. Yep, John abs- absolutely demoralized the Bombers. They beat them by 95 points. I love it. Um, in this game, Bob, Bob, Bobby Davis took a mark just before the halftime bell. As he went back on his mark, Bomber uh, Doug Bigelow was over-anxious to put him off his mark, which resulted in Davis actually having three attempts at the kick. He kicked one point. In this match, Lindsay White kicked seven, Troubles Flanagan and Marty Lynch kicked four, and Jack Condon uh, kicked three. Massive. Round 12, uh, the Cats lost to the Demons at the MCG by three points. In this game, Alan Hickenbotham actually broke his leg. But they, the staff at the MCG, or MCC, so, couldn't find the stretcher. Are you kidding? Which meant he had to stay on the ground, which meant he couldn't be replaced. Yeah, so he was on the ground for 10 minutes more than he should have been. I don't know if he was standing or he was just lying on the ground, but it meant he couldn't be replaced. Yeah. Um, and in such a tight game, that could have affected the result. So, uh, of course, Geelong complained to the league, but nothing came of it. But, yeah, just a, an interesting little tidbit I found there. <laughs> oh, no, sorry, we don't have a stretcher. Interesting. Yeah. Well, we can't find it. Um, look, so there's some really big wins for Geelong in this season, and we can see they're really putting the pieces together of a good team. Um, some big wins, some strange losses. They needed to win their final four games to make the finals, but they would run out of puff, puff and actually lose their last four. They lost to St Kilda at Junction Oval, Carlton, North Melbourne and Richmond. Um, but they're definitely showing flashes of brilliance and we know that Geelong are definitely on the rise. Good. It's what we want to hear. They've been down for a little while now. Well, since the war. Since the war. <laughs> so moving on to seventh. Fitzroy, the Gorillas, the men's team, uh, winning winning ten and uh, losing nine. They yeah seventh. So captain coach, and this hurts me to say, Norm Smith, lead goal kicker Eddie Hart with fifty three, and best and fairest winner Alan Rudson. Um, we might talk more. It's weird reading the Red Fox. It's weird reading the Red Fox book and hearing about him being at Fitzroy because he's so synonymous with Melbourne. I know, but you know the, the the Smith name is also synonymous with with Fitzroy, with Len being at, at that's for true that, for that while. So you know, at least to get yeah, somewhere yeah, else. Right. But it, that hurts me to talk about. So maybe we wait until we get to Melbourne to talk more about what happened. Yeah, absolutely. But um, but he did he did come in and have high expectations. He trained them harder. Um, he he put a bit of a, a broom through the club as well. He brought in eleven new players, including Eddie Goodger, uh, Jack Gaffney, and Claude Curtin came back from North Melbourne. He had one year over there. Oh yeah, he wasn't. He wasn't one to uh, to suffer fools, Norm. No, he wasn't no. one to put up with things that weren't right. 
No, he and he originally didn't want to play. He had retired. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. They uh, they talked him into captain coaching. Mm. And boy, did they start like a house on fire. They had a big win in his first game, which was, you know, 22 points against St. Kilda. Uh, the Baron kicking four, Coates and Hart three each. Uh, but in that game, they lost promising half forward Eric Moore to a season-ending wrist injury. Um, what followed was back-to-back one-point wins over Carlton and Collingwood. Um, against Carlton in round two, Eddie Hart kicked six goals. Uh, the Herald saying that the Smith-Hart combination is a stronger attack for Fitzroy. Um, Carlton's took a how could have actually won the game for Carlton, but kicked the ball into the man on the mark late in the game. Oh. Round three, in the first ever coaching battle between Jock McHale and Norm Smith, two absolute coaching legends of the game. Um, yeah, now, yeah. Well, that's so interesting. What you want? Yeah, one at the very end of his career and one at the very beginning. Um, yep. So in that game, uh, Fitzroy won by a point. Three goals to Eddie Hart helped them. Um, and they used the tactic of having two Rovers. Uh, it was Eddie Hart who kicked the goal just before the bell as well to uh, give the Maroons or the Gorillas a one-point win and see them at 3-3 three and three to start the season. So there you go. So Norm, Norm Smith, Doc McCullough head-to-head. Norm's got the wood on him at this stage. At this stage, yeah. Um, but then injuries would really start to affect the team. Round nine was a really interesting game for Norm because it was his first against Melbourne. Mm-hmm. And in the book, there's some interesting reflections by um, Barassi saying that he was like he was crying before the game. He was that emotional about playing against his old team. Well, um, we know we know that he was a very loyal man, and uh, yeah, so it would have been tough. I yeah, but uh, Lafontaine sounds like a bit of a jerk in this situation. He told told the Melbourne players to ignore Norm on the field um, and not give him any attention and ignore the fact they all knew him. And all the Melbourne supporters openly booed him during this game. Booed Norm? Yeah. That does sound like Melbourne supporters. God, we're fickle. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yes. Melbourne won this game by 22 and Norm only kicked one. Mm. Now, round 10 coming up against Essendon and their star, John Coleman. Um, Vic Chanter, the fullback, really made the young forward earn his kicks. In the first quarter, Chanter collected him with a boot to the face that saw Coleman supporting a nice shiner at halftime. Norm Johnson tried to clean Coleman up at one stage but accidentally collided with Chanter. And the Bombers supporters just gave Chanter Bronx cheers whenever he touched the the ball all day. In the last quarter, when Chanter tackled Coleman to the ground, uh, Essendon's first aid attendant ran out and actually pushed Chanter so he could attend to Coleman. uh, And players swarmed to the scene for a bit of a brouhaha. Uh, but luckily the umpires broke it up. Fitzroy would win this match by three points. Um, but as I said, injuries kept mounting and mounting and Norm Smith couldn't couldn't work any miracles with the list he had at this stage. They won just three of their last nine. Um, one positive, though, was for the first time in uh, forever in Fitzroy history, they had five players kick 20 goals or more. So Eddie Hart kicked 53, Alan Ruthven 33, Dick Kennedy 23, there you go. Norm kicked 22, and George Coates 20. Steering it around. Yeah. The annual report wrote that although we missed a place in the final four, our confidence to reach that goal next year is unshaken. Yeah. Yeah. Which makes sense. They're, they're sitting there with a list that I think at the time they knew wasn't that crash hot as well. So they're sitting there going, well, if they're, if he's, yeah. if we're getting this out of the team we've got and we make some changes, we're, we're looking good. Yeah. they got some absolute stars though. And Norm coming in is a good, good move. 
in sixth place with 10 wins and nine losses as well, just a slightly higher percentage. We've got the Tigers, Richmond. Uh, captain coached by Jack Dye this year. Their lead goal kicker was Ray Poulter with 51. Uh, best and fairest winner was Jeff Spring. A big year for a... Uh, the Tigers and Jack Dyer especially. Yeah, so 1949 at Richmond was really the uh, the Jack Dyer farewell tour. In fact, we're going to play a song now called The Infamous Captain Blood, uh, written by Mike Brady to celebrate his career. So we'll play that and have a little bit of a listen as we talk about the Tigers. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Savage fire, Captain Blood, Captain Blood, the infamous Jack Dyer. Um, the other interesting thing to discuss is the fact that the games aren't exactly correct. So um, when we talk about how many games Jack Dyer played, we're talking about at the time how many he'd played. But since um, since this day, games have been actually added to Jack Dyer's tally. Um, this is either due to games played for state or games where he was on the bench or was off the bench. So there's a bit of discrepancy there, but we're talking about it as if it is 1949. Um, so round one, we'll start Jack Dyer, um, veteran now, Richmond playing coach, was far too cunning for the opposition yesterday. And we know Dyer's playing more as a forward these days because they've got Paleface Morris in the ruck. Um, so the Doggies used Rees, McKenkie and Morrissey at full back at different times, but they could not cope with Jack Beautiful. Dyer. Um, and look, he did kick five goals. <laughs> Just cherry picking in the goal. Yeah, uh, and yeah. was responsible for others, but he didn't really move too much. He was never more than 25 yards from goal. And there were critics starting to say, you know, he needs to be a non-playing coach. Round two, though, as um, as champions often do, they bounce back. Uh, this was his 300th game, so only the second player to reach 300 games against Hawthorne, and he celebrated in style. <laughs> Six goals, Tigers romped to an 89-point win. That's two big wins for the Tigers. Um, things were going well. However, uh, round three, they had a loss to North Melbourne, and this had Jack Dyer furious. Yeah, exactly. Uh, he worked the team really hard at training that week. He was enraged at the big-headedness of the team after... Having those two big wins to start with. Especially ones as hot-blooded as Jack. Um, so they started the season fairly well. Um, round eight, things looked disastrous in this game. Uh, they were playing Geelong, down at Geelong. And uh, they were trailing by 26 points, but they had a six-goal-to-one final quarter. Um, the Tigers triumphed. Dyer only kicked the, the lazy two. Um, to kick three for them in that game and the Tigers escaped with a win in this one by just four points uh, round nine now round nine a huge crowd packed in the punt right over 46,000 people in fact to see uh, the Tigers take on Carlton we know there's a bit of animosity between Perth Bentley and Jack Dyer at the end of Perth's time at Richmond so um that's all, there's always a bit of rivalry between these two teams anyway. Uh, the pressure of the crowd was so much they burst through the picket fence, um, causing yes. the crowd to spill onto the ground 20 minutes before the game started. Uh, and there were so many, there were thousands of spectators who were turned away from the outside of the ground. Um, the bar building at the Richmond end had 200 spectators on its roof, and Charlie, you'll like this. There were some boys, uh, entrepreneurial boys, who were carrying ladders around the perimeter of the ground and were charging spectators to use them. <laughs> I love it. Very entrepreneurial. Um, unfortunately, though, for Tigers fans, the Blues won this game by 15 points, storming in through the last quarter. Um, now, this gets us to the big game against Collingwood in round 10. This would be the game in which Jack Dyer would equal Gordon Coventry's 
record of 306 games. And and uh, Jock McHale was pretty... He, he, we know Jock McHale didn't like Jack Dyer. Uh, he was you know angry. He didn't think that uh, Dyer deserved to be mentioned in the same breath as Nuts Coventry. But in this game, uh, they, they took on their hated rivals. And um, Jack Dyer equaled the record, but unfortunately for Richmond, a fired-up Collingwood were able to get the win here. Uh, in this game... So the following week against Melbourne, he broke the record. He became the leading games holder in the VFL with his 307th game. Um, this game was against Melbourne, but he injured himself in this game. And he would only make three more appearances for the season and his career. Um, and his presence on the field was definitely missed. In round 14, an interesting game. There was a loss um, to North Melbourne and they had a debutant called Tom Allen who began playing for them this season. Uh, it was a pretty disastrous uh, start for Tom, though. He kicked 11 behinds in his match. Oh, God. Which, uh, you know, not great kicking. He only played a, few, a handful of games. Yeah, that's not it's not a fun way to start. Uh, he had an interesting little story, though. He got knocked over by Kangaroos defender Pat Kelly uh, early on in the game, and he kind of was staring up, and Jack Dyer and Mopsy Fraser were there, um, ironing, ironing blokes out left, right, and centre. Um and he could hear them saying, you know, if you touch this kid again, we'll bloody well kill a lot of you. And he never got touched again. <laughs> I love it. Um, so good. So following the round 16, lost to Essendon. For some reason, Paleface Morris didn't show up. Uh, apparently, he'd phoned to say he was traveling with his boss. He just didn't show. And just, yeah, didn't, didn't show up. What? That's crazy. Now, Jack Dyer uh, told the club at this stage that the, the two games left in the season and they would be his last two as a player. Mm-hmm. So, um, in round 17, they had a win over Fitzroy. The last game was a punt road oval, and he addressed the team for the last time, asking them to give him a win to send him off. Well, he stirred the emotions well. Uh, this game was a great win for the Tigers against Geelong. Bill Morris was dominant in the ruck. He kicked four. Fraser Stokes and Alston mesmerized the Cats as the Tigers played outstanding football. Uh, they won by tw- 69 points in the end. Jack Dyer kicked six goals, uh, including one with his very last kick, which was a, a marvellous drop punt. How good is that? What a way to finish. After the game, he was cheered off. Both team supporters cheering and singing to him. Uh, and even his hated Collingwood sent an inscribed ashtray to uh, celebrate his record. <laughs> After the game, he told his team, look, it isn't considered manly for one man to kiss another, but I love you guys so much, I could kiss you all. <laughs> I love it. So good. And here's a and here's a good stat from Swamp Man mm-hmm. Swamp thing for you. Uh, so he played from 31 to 49 during his time playing. There were eight different prime ministers in charge of Australia. So this is a record for a player in terms of prime ministers. That's incredible. Yeah, there's probably a few who would be close at the moment with the amount of changes we've had recently, like with those earlier changes. Yeah, Burgoyne. Yeah, it'd have to be coming close. Yeah, but no. Yeah, that's eight, massive. Eight, eight's the record. I love it. Well, good on Jack. <laughs> he made it. Mm. Um, it'll it's sad to see him go as a player, but he he'll still be around as coach and a uh, a media personality for a long time to come. That's what we need. Bit of yeah, bit of that in it. A bit of character. Here we go. So, yeah, moving on to the D's, the big fellas. Just miss, just missing out. On finals, unfortunately, with 12 wins and 7 losses, Melbourne. 
So captained again by Don, Don Cordner. Their coach this year, Alan LaFontaine. Mm, interesting uh, coach. Interesting yes. uh, decision. Best and fairest uh, winner, Len Dockett. And their lead goal kicker was Bob McKenzie with 41. So let's start with talking about the coaching. So Checker Hughes, as we mentioned at the end of last year, dropped the mic at the end of 1948 again, walking out as a premiership captain, uh, premiership coach for the third time in his career, which is unbelievable. Um, yeah. So the, the board um, ob- nor made it obvious that he wanted the coaching job. He had for a while. He wanted to... Um, he wanted to retire, as you mentioned, when he was talking about Fitzroy. His, his hammies were cooked. He knew he wasn't the player he used to be, so he wanted to be a non-playing coach. Um, and Alan, Alan LaFontaine wanted it as well, um, who we, yeah. we know was an absolute superstar in his own right in, in the days when he played in the, the late 20s and 30s. Um, so the board had a bit of a struggle on their hands. And the, the other person who was yep. actually... They talked about for the job, but couldn't quite convince to come over was uh, Fonz Kine, the captain of Collingwood, who we knew we know wants to coach as well at this stage. Yeah, like, and that could have uh, could have changed a lot of things. Could have, yeah, absolutely. And I, we, yeah, we'll hear more about that in a, in another interview. Um, but yes. so the board, unfor- well, unfortunately for Norm, but fortunately for Alan, picked him uh, by one vote. So one more person picked Alan Lafontaine. And he got the job as coach, which then meant that it was time. It was Norm's time to go. He knew he didn't want to be there anymore. Well, not that he didn't want to be there anymore, but he had mm. to search for other opportunities uh, and coaching opportunities, knowing that that's where he wanted to be. And so, yeah, yeah he went to Fitzroy, which led to uh, Alan LaFontaine taking over as Melbourne coach and a very interesting character to me. Yeah. Not maybe not quite the coach that he was as as a player. Yeah. So we talked about Norm Smith having a great start. Um, the opposite was correct for Checker for uh, LaFontaine where they had, yeah. they lost their well four of their first five. They got smashed by Geelong in the first round and when they you know, they were were they unfurling the pennant in that game? No, they played Geelong in Geelong. Um but yeah, they lost by 62 points. Yeah. And then they lost a heartbreaker to Collingwood in round two when they were unfurling the flag. Um, his first win didn't come until round three against Footscray. Although errant kicking saw them kick one goal eight <laughs> by quarter time. Luckily, their defense held the, held the uh, doggies up well. Lance Arnold kicked seven in that game. Uh, round four was another loss. And in round five against the spirited young Kangaroos teams, uh, the Demons had a chance to win late, but Lance Arnold's yeah. shot after the bell went off the side of his boot and out on the full. Now, they played the Saints in round six, and, I mean, Charlie, you'd hate to lose <laughs> the Saints, but things looked dire at, qu- at half-time. Uh, the Demons... Um, but LaFontaine must have put the heat on them. The Demons held them to only four second-half points and kicked away to breathe a sigh of relief. Uh, and then <laughs> it was a grand final rematch, and... The Demons did what they did the year before. They they beat the Bombers. Um, Adrian Dullard with five. Yeah. Uh, now, by the time the Demons beat Collingwood in round 13, they'd suddenly run seven in a row and were back in the top four. So uh, LaFontaine had righted the ship. Uh, but the rest of the season went win-loss, win-loss. Yeah. Uh, the round 18 loss to Essendon, all but ending their finals hopes. Um, and look, Jack Mueller, you know, making his cameo appearances. He played four games this season in round 6, 11, 12, and 19, kicking nine goals. But... Yeah, he was sort of 
he, he had a few injuries. He also got um he got four weeks for striking at one stage during the year as well. They could tell it was him because it was only three fingers that hit the guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he uh, against yeah he struck uh, Jack Meehan in round six. Mm. So was that the first, that was the first game he came back. So his first game back, he then got suspended for four weeks. Four weeks. But we know, <laughs> just like with Norm Smith, as we said before, we know he was basically at the end. He didn't even want to play in 48. His hammies were cooked. He was happy coaching the seconds. Um, yeah. Yep. Yet we haven't seen the end of him yet. No. He keeps on just <laughs> just rolling it out. Keeping on. <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's move up to some uh, to a better team. All right. So at the pointy end of the ladder. Unfortunately, Melbourne couldn't quite make it. But, yeah, as you said, moving on to better teams, that hurts me a little bit in, in my soul. But with uh, in fourth place with 13 wins and six mm. losses, we have the Bombers. Essendon, uh, captain coach by Dick Reynolds. Their lead goal kicker was a young man, a young pale man by the name of John Absolutely. Coleman with 100 goals. Yes. And their best and fairest winner, John Coleman, as well. Indeed. So, um Kaz is going to drop in a little bit of info here about John Coleman. Okay. John Coleman. Height, 185 centimetres. Weight, 80 kgs. From Hastings Football Club, but also spent time in Port Ferry and Ascot Vale. Eloquently summarising Coleman's unique appeal to football fans of virtually all persuasions, Herald journalist Heck DeLacy observed... To me, the greatest delight in the Coleman technique is to see him one split second as the pole sitter, the disinterested spectator of the hustle and bustle, the next to rise with the crowd's excitement as he comes from nowhere, throws himself into the air and drags down the seemingly impossible mark. Must have gone a long way to winning some games there. Thanks, Kaz. Now, any information we generally say, I've got this great book here called Coleman, The Untold Story of an AFL Legend by Doug Ackerley. Very comprehensive yes. uh, book about his career. Um, and Charlie, you and I have had this discussion, but the fact that the, the goal-kicking medal is called the Coleman medal when you know when he, when you compare him to Coventry or Dick Lee or these other champions, like it's a bit of an interesting one that he the Coleman's named after him. So I'm really curious to see... How, is, like, what it? his career is like? Because we know the legend, but to actually go into a bit more depth is going to be really interesting. Um, yeah, that's it, and and sort of yeah, because realistically, I feel like it's a bit a bit similar when with when we talked about Kazali. It's like everyone knows the up there Kazali, and everyone knows the Coleman Medal. But what's the re- real story of the player? Which is yeah. you know, a fascinating sort of thing to talk about. Well, one thing that everyone does seem to know about is uh, his debut in round one. <laughs> yes, incredible. The I, I I would probably call it the most spectacular debut the game it has, has ever be, seen. Doesn't it? Um, playing the playing the Hawks at Windy Hill, the ball was bounced to start the game. It shot forward, and Coleman took a mark within like five seconds. It's incredible. He thought that? to himself, oh, "If I miss this, I'm finished before I begin." But he he uh, he he let the kick fly, and it scraped in by two feet. So it was 10 seconds in and he was already on the board. <laughs> in this game, Charlie, he would kick 12 goals, which was a record for any debutante. Uh, he kicked goals as snapshots. He kicked them off leads. Um, he took them off absolute screamers. Uh, the knees on the shoulders type arcs. It was it was the most exciting of days, apparently. Um, if there had been a Rising Star nomination, he would definitely have got that for uh, for that round. Oh, and 100% won the Rising Star for the year. Yeah. Um, 
and yeah, so the Bombers won that game by sixty three points. But yeah, that amazing. To, amazing to think that he almost wasn't there. Well, Richmond tried to poach him because Essendon weren't giving him a run, Timmy. Yeah, they couldn't. He he couldn't squeeze a game, and no one was kicking to him. He was leading all over the place, and no one wanted to give it to the pale weedy kid in the corner who was running for everything for the luckily, last two years. Luckily for us, he'd uh, he'd signed a contract with us, so if he That's right. if Richmond yeah. wanted him, he had to sit out for a whole season, and he didn't and he, want to do he, that. He was almost prepared to, though. He was thinking about it, I read. So, yeah, very lucky yeah. That, that you managed to but, hold on to it. But we know uh, what has Essendon lacked in the last few seasons. It's cost them grand finals. That's it, a spearhead. Someone kicking goals, yeah. So he's come around at the right time. And if you were a, a, a supporter who didn't like Essendon at the time, you're like, all right, I think we've finally got through this, this phase of Essendon being up there. It's probably their time to go down the ladder a bit. Think again. Yeah, exactly. After round one, you would have known that that was false. It's interesting that you say um, that they lacked a spearhead because there was some really interesting stat that I read here about them this year, which I thought was fascinating. So in 1947, they obviously made the grand final. Yeah, 47, so they made the grand final. Bombers' average score was 92 points. In 48, it dropped to 71 points. So they're struggling. But then 1949, with, with Coleman... They scored an average yep. of 113 points, so it made a big difference. Yeah, there you go. So huge difference. The injection they needed, uh, huge, as you would say. Um, huge. However, if you thought the team was going to get instantly better, you'd be wrong. Um, they had a pretty poor start to the season. Mm. Uh, injuries didn't help. They moved Bill Brittingham to to kind of full back because he was he had been their forward, but he was moved to full back. Um, and look, they did. Won, they won four of their first five, but then had some really disastrous losses that we've kind of already alluded to. They lost to South. They lost to Fitzroy in round ten in that game where we talked about Vic Chanter getting the better of Coleman. Uh, in that game, Coleman was actually moved to centre half forward, uh, and surprise, surprise, the, the team suddenly were inaccurate. <laughs> yeah, but that, yeah. In this game, uh, Ted Lahane was backing back into a pack and got. Uh, knocked, not knocked out, but he got knocked into. He passed blood at half time and was found to have ruptured his kidney. Oh God! Later on, um, and he was he was supposedly out for the rest of the season. Um, for, then they played that mid-season game in Brisbane against Carlton, in which I think Carlton won that game. Wally May uh, had his jaw broken. Whopper Lane came back from a holiday, and he. Was said, all right, you're a bit out of form, Whopper. Go back to the twos, get some fitness, and we'll put you in the ones. He refused. He refused to play in the twos. Uh, he, he applied for a transfer to Richmond, which was rejected, so he quit the club. Oh, my God. Really? So just refused to play in the seconds? Unbelievable. Yep. Yep. Um, coming back from Queensland, the Bombers then went down to Geelong, where we talked about them being smashed by the Cats. 95 points. Um, the critics were all calling for Reynolds to retire and coach. But everything... That's it. They were massively criticised for that trip to Brisbane, weren't they? They were. Um, but luckily, we came up against Hawthorne. Yeah. <laughs> and um, incredibly... So at this stage of the season, Essendon sat at five wins, six losses, eighth spot on the ladder, two games out of the four. But the second half of the season, Essendon would get a lot of key players back and begin to really gel. And we would win 31 of the next 32 games. Spoiler alert. <laughs> that is outrageous. Really? So, so 30, yeah. yeah. Wow. 
So uh, Essendon smashed the Hawks by 32 points. Uh, they had 32 score. Sorry, they had 32 scoring shots for a 70 point win. Uh, and in Dick Reynolds' absence, Bill Hutchinson captained the team for the first time. Round 14, Coleman was away on state duties. That's right, he was so good. He was he made the state team in his first season. Uh, so season. our mate, our mate Jack Jones stepped up and played at full forward against the Saints, and uh, he kicked five goals too. Yes. Uh, Whopper Lane, kind of on again, off again with the club. Uh, he finally got selected to play in the seniors. Like, all right, I won't quit. <laughs> but it was very, it was very clear that he was out of form and was absolutely towed up by Mopsy Fraser. But the uh, the Bombers still won that match by twenty two points. In round seventeen, the Bombers played Collingwood at Win- Windy Hill. Mm. Coleman kicked eight on Bill Nolan, and in doing so, became the holder of most goals kicked in the season by a Bomber. Passing Tom Reynolds' record of seventy-two. Oh yeah. Round eighteen, a, home, a record home and away crowd saw Essendon defeat Melbourne, which we already Tell know what that crowd was very quickly. Fifty-eight thousand four hundred and thirty-six at the G. Love it, and we already know that ruined yep. Melbourne season, which Essendon would be very happy about, considering nineteen forty-eight. Yeah. Absolutely. So that they were both jostling for that final position. They were on equal points, uh, just percentage separated them, but that put a, a game between the two teams. Yeah. And yeah, as I said, effectively ended Melbourne's run. Um, and then round 19 was a regulation win over the Doggies. Saw them riding an eight-game winning streak heading into finals. Huge. The momentum is with them. They were looking good. There was a bit of chat at one stage in the season as well to me. I know you've, you talked about injuries and things uh, not been great for Essendon, but also the way that they were playing, a lot of quick passes, a lot of like high possession football. It was one, it was a, and you've mentioned this early with other teams as well. It was a very wet, muddy, uh, ugly winter in Melbourne that year. So it did not, the year itself did not lend itself to the way Essendon wanted to play football. And once that weather started turning later in the season, the, uh, the yeah. game got a little bit. Yeah, the, 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 it made it a bit easier for them to, uh, to maintain possession and take a lot of marks and, and play the way they wanted to play. So Mother Nature helped as well. <laughs> mm. Well, that takes us up to third on the ladder. Excellent. So sitting in third with the same Sorry, uh, 13 wins and six losses. In fact, yes. second is sitting on the same as well. Very even at the top of the table this year. Uh so, yeah, 13 wins and six losses, just a little higher percentage than Essendon there. Was Collingwood, captained again by Fonz Kine, coached by Jock McHale. In his 38th season. In his 38th season. He's been there since the Titanic went down. Uh, yeah. Lead goal kicker was Jack Pym with 34, best and fairest, a young man by the name of Bob Rose. All right, and Kaz, here's another debutante for you. Um, his name is Kevin Skeeter Coglin. Okay, Kevin Skeeter Cullen. Height, 163 centimetres. Weight, 56 kgs. The smallest player of his era. Another small one. And certainly one of the lightest of any era. Collingwood recruited Cullen from CBC Parade and Clifton Hill CYMS. Cullen earned his nickname of Skeeter. When during, a, uh, when during a junior high jump competition, he successfully made it over a target which was three inches above his height. Not surprisingly, Cullen played his football as a rover. There you go. So, um, round one, as Collingwood so often do, they kicked off the season with a big win by 50 points over North Melbourne. 
Bob Rose kicked five. Jack Pym and Jack Green, three each. In this game, Lou Richards was kicked on the base of the spine. Oh, um, And fortunately, the injury was only a severe bruise and he would, pay, he would play the following week. But it didn't sound pretty when I read about it. No. In round two, the... Yeah, you get kicked in the spine and you think bad things. Yeah. Round two, the Pies played with dash and determination and despite kicking two goals, nine in the third quarter against the Demons, they were uh, they really challenged the Premiers and held on to win by two points with Ron Richards kicking four goals. They then lost to Fitzroy at home before knocking off the Hawks and then lost to Carlton in a bruising affair, which we'll get to when we talk about Carlton. Now, playing the Bombers in round six, Jock McHale called for the supreme effort. He knew they were coming up against Coleman. Um, but things were looking bad when at one point in the second quarter, the Bombers led nine goals to one goal. Oof. But in the space of eight minutes, they slammed on six goals, six to be right back into the game. Second half was an arm wrestle, but the game ended when Ron Richards kicked a goal almost on the Massive. siren to see the Pies triumph by one point. Uh, that kick, that win was a bit of an inspiration and kicked off a run of six in a row. Uh, in round 10, they travelled to Punt Road to play the Tigers. They hadn't won there in four years. Uh, <laughs> and obviously, we know Jock and uh, Jack Dyer aren't on the best of terms, so he was really keen to knock off knock off the uh, the Tigers' man one more time. Uh, the Pies had a big third quarter to lead by 20 points, um, and as Jock McHale went to address the huddle, uh, he found his voice was failing him, and emotion got the better of him. Tears came into his eyes. Yeah, very unlike the Jock that we know. And Foz Kine had to take over, saying, you can see what this is doing to old Jock. Let's make sure we win it mm. for him. Yeah, there's... The Pies bit- held on to win by... Th- as we've as we've alluded to these last couple of years, there have been whispers around the club that it that you know the confidence isn't there anymore in 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 Jock and his systems and the way he's decided to play. And we know that Collingwood seem to have been slowing down a bit, and uh, that's it. And sort of being found out after half time a lot of the time. Uh, yeah, the Pies held on to win that game by three points. Isn't that's an, that's amazing? It just it's impossible to it's impossible to pull the two apart. Isn't it, really? Um, so they then, after that run of six in a row, they lost two in a row to the North and the Demons. And then round 14, they played the return ledger with Fitzroy. So Jock versus Norm. Uh, but importantly for Jock, he squared the ledger with Norm Smith. Mm. So in their only season, again, when they were coached against each other, they would finish with one win each. <laughs> uh, now they took on Carlton in an important match following this. So this would be in round... 15. Yeah. Um, the lead swung back and forth. Carlton looking to have the upper hand, but when Golden Hocking, Gordon Hocking kicked the goal late in the last quarter, it gave the Pies a lead, which they held on to and won by three points. So the, the Pies are actually hold, they're winning the late, the games are the closest season. They're running out games better. Until, of course, they run into a dominant Essendon team in round 17, who absolutely pummeled them by 46 points. To take top position or to take uh, at least get the double chance, they had to win their last two. They beat the Doggies in round 17, and everyone's like, oh, they'll take care of business against the Saints in the last round to uh, to have the double chance. However, we know, we've talked about this already, the Saints overcame a, first, a poor first quarter to control the game um, and to win this match by nine points, relegating the Pies to an elimination final. Infuriating jock, but uh, yeah, making everyone else quite happy. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. Yeah, I love that. I love that for St Kilda. Gives them something to enjoy in a pretty terrible season. Yes. 
So that moves us up to second place on the ladder. So with 13 wins and six losses as well, we've got Carlton, captained by Ern Henfrey and coached again by Perce Bentley. The lead goal kicker was Ken Baxter with 46. And Bess and Ferris was their captain, Ern Henfrey. Yes. Yeah, so um, Carlton have been doing a bit what the Doggies did in terms of they won the 45 grand final, missed finals next year, won 47, missed finals in 48. So they're yo-yoing a bit as well. Lovely. Uh, some debutants for Carlton were Alan Tyne and Bernie Baxter. Um, round one, they had a big win over South Melbourne. Round two, they lost by a point to Fitzroy. Round three, uh, 10 goals up at halftime. The Hawks looked to really be smashed. Uh, and they would have been if the Blues hadn't kicked a wasteful five goals, 10 in the last quarter. And this really frustrated Perce Bentley. He hated the fact they didn't absolutely bury them. I mean, they won by 105 points, yep. but he wasn't satisfied. Uh, Chooker Howe kicked five. It could have been 150 easily. Yeah, yep. Um, round four, they played the Bombers, and Ollie Grieve did a really good job on Coleman, keeping him to only two goals. Although Carlton again kicked poorly with seven goals, 22 now, round five, I alluded to this earlier. They played Collingwood, and in shades of the violent clash they'd had in 1945 in the prelim, Carlton and Collingwood fought out another spiteful match at Princess Park. Scuffles erupted after the first bounce, and Carlton's Ray Garby was reported by a field umpire for striking Gordon Hocking. Apparently, Garby's hand had been stomped on while he was on the ground, so he jumped to his feet and belted the nearest opponent, which happened to be Hocking, but apparently he got it wrong. In Lou Richards' uh, biography, he'd said that it was actually uh, Fonz Kine. Um, Carlton won this match by five goals, but Perce Bentley would also come out and say one of the Carlton players had kicked a, one of the Collingwood players had kicked a Carlton player in the face. Oh, really? Jeez. So a lot of spite. Yeah, a lot of spite in this game. In round nine, Carlton played Richmond, uh, and this was Jack, Jack Dyer's record-breaking game. Um, and all, and remember that there was a bit of animosity between Perce Bentley and Jack Dyer. No, really? What was that from? Well, Perce Bentley had been the coach of Richmond before Dyer, and they uh, kind of okay, pushed yeah. him out. There was speculation. Um, anyway, another tough, hard game. Richmond had a three-goal lead with five minutes or so to play. When Richmond player Bill Hungry Wilson, the original Hungry apparently, had the ball on the forward line, but chose to pass instead of taking a shot, Carlton intercepted and ran the ball down and ended up kicking the last five goals of the match to win by 15 points. They kicked the last five. That is huge. Yeah, in the last, you know, five, six minutes. Um, in the round 10 loss... That's good. That's why that's they've it. got the win, if there's more, If there's more minutes left than goals to kick, then you're still okay. Yeah. You're in it. The Charlie Cooper theory. <laughs> in the round 10 loss to Melbourne, took a howl, injured his hand and missed the rest of the home and away season, but would return for finals. Uh, in round 17, they played Geelong and Carlton didn't announce their team until 2-10. 13 changes to their lineup. Uh, Five minutes before the start of the game. Yep. yep. Love it. This made them 10 minutes late onto the field as well, but didn't affect them. They still won by 43. Ken Baxter kicked eight. Now, round three, they uh, they played North Melbourne in a huge game, and they lost, and they thought, oh, we've blown the double chance. Collingwood's going to beat St Kilda and, and overtake us. But they celebrated because they finished second. Um, Collingwood had lost to St Kilda. Yeah. Yeah, massive. So they thought, you know, no chance. But there you go. Which gets us to a very unlikely top top of the ladder. I know. Can you believe it? The only team we haven't mentioned, for those of you who have been paying attention this whole time, 
is North Melbourne sitting minor premiers. So with 14, Incredible. 14 wins and five losses. And especially with the, a few of the things you mentioned, you wouldn't have picked it. You know, they were beaten beaten early on in the season and there's been a few times where they've been pipped. So, yeah, but captained by Les Foote, uh, coached by Wally Carter, their lead goal kicker was Jock Spencer with 64 and best and fairest winner was Captain Les Foote. Yeah, so it's, they've been building up and up. We know they had a, a good end of the season last season, although they haven't made finals since 45. We know uh, Wally Carter has been a pretty successful coach for them in the uh, thirds and then the reserves. Yeah. Uh, now, had a debutante named Laurie Ship, which is a good name. Twice during the season, they had exactly 100% as well. Yeah. Now... You wouldn't have uh, you wouldn't have known they would have a successful season when they were absolutely thrashed by the Pies in round one by uh, fifty points, and then Essendon beat them by nineteen in round two. It was absolutely disastrous. Um, but these shin boners were different, Charlie. Yeah, they launched into an extraordinary run unseen since their uh, VFA days. They notched up five in a row with wins over Footscray and Richmond in, in that. In round five, they scraped home by two points over reigning premiers Melbourne. And apart from a loss to Carlton in round eight, mm-hmm. they won 10 of 11 games between round thir- three and 13. In round 10, they took on South Melbourne and despite kicking 18 goals, 25, they triumphed in emphatic style. Jock Spencer really shining with five. In round 16, they played a desperate Demons outfit and the game was intense. In windy conditions, North handled it better. Whenever the ball hit the deck, North were faster and handled the ball better. Um, Whenever North kicked away, however, Melbourne came back at them and the game was eventually won from a desperate snap by Les Foote in time on, North by one straight kick. It's incredible. I actually didn't mention this when we were talking about Melbourne before, but they lost five games... Yeah, five games by eight points or less this year. So it was a real, real could have been year for the Ds. And two of them were against North. So there you go. <laughs> um, now, round 19, it all came down to this match. It was North Melbourne versus Carton at Arden Street. The winner would finish as minor premier. The loser possibly would go down to third, depending on what Collingwood did. We know Collingwood lost, so it didn't make a difference. Um, but it was a great day for North Melbourne. A record crowd of 35,116 came to Arden Street to watch them take on the Blues. The game was even early on, and despite North dominance, they wasted their opportunities, leading by nine at half time. Uh, yet they had nine more scoring shots. But the second half saw them take control. Um, they added 10 goals, six to Carlton's, two goals, seven to run out 56 point winners. Jock Spencer kicked eight. Brooker, Condon, and Foote had two each. And it was the first time in VFL history the Shin Boners had finished on top of the ladder. I was going to say, first time that one of our expansion uh, clubs has finished on the top of the ladder, surely. Yeah, unless we include Richmond as an expansion club, yes. Yeah, yeah, when, yeah. I guess when, as we've said before, I think when new clubs come in, then the old clubs become no longer expansion clubs, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, all right. So the 25 <laughs> expansion clubs, yeah, absolutely. First ones to finish on top. First, yeah. Um, so let's quickly uh, check in with Moz on the Brownlow Downlow. Yes. The Brownlow Downlow with Moz. In 1949, Harold Bray from St Kilda finished with 20 Brownlow votes. However, Hawthorne's Colin Austin and South's Ron Clegg both finished with 23 votes. 
Upon countback, Ron Smokey Clegg won with six first, first votes to Austin's five. Colin Austin was sacked after the 1949 season, his best season, along with the captain coach of Hawthorne, Alec Alberston. Hawthorne then finished last for the following four seasons. Austin went to Richmond, where he remained in various capacities for many decades, and he received life membership for Richmond just prior to his death in 1995. In 1989, Austin's Brownlow was retrospectively awarded 40 years after the fact. Ron Smokey Clegg, the 1949 official Brownlow winner at the time, played exceptionally well at centre-half forward, but was known for playing his best games at centre-half back. Smokey could also kick a long way with either foot, and he did so frequently tricking his opponents. He was 21 when he won the award, and after the season, he announced that he was moving to Tassie with his new wife. He'd been offered the captain coach position at New Norfolk and would receive a milk bar business, a new car, and free rent if he went down there. However, neither the VFL nor the ANFC granted Clegg the clearance, so he had no choice but to stay at South. In Peter Blair's book that I used to research the Brownlow medalists, um, there's a little anecdote here about Clegg, which I'll read out to you. Clegg was drinking with a publican at South Melbourne pub when a verbal argument arose between the two men. Clegg then turned to another patron, who he knew as Jimmy O'Keefe, a professional fighter of some repute, and said, what did you ever do for sport? O'Keefe replied with, I won a number of fights, drew a number, lost only a couple, and knocked out a Brownlow medalist. The following seconds saw O'Keefe knock, knock Clegg out cold. <sighs> Altogether, Clegg played a record number of 231 games for South. He kicked 155 goals, and he won South's Best and Fairest Award three times. He also wore the Big V 15 times. And let's also hear from her about the team of the year in 1949. Mm. The 1949 Sporting Life magazine's team of the year is as follows. In the back line, we have Footscray's Charlie Sutton, Melbourne's Shane McGrath and Melbourne's Don Cordner. Halfbacks, we have Perth's Marcel, Marcel Hiltz, uh, Carlton's Bert Deacon and South's Ron Clegg, also the Brownlow medalist for the year. In the centre, we have Collingwood's Des Healy, Carlton's Ern Hentfrey and West Perth's Stan Heal. Half forwards are the West Torrens is from West Torrens Bob Hank, Geelong's Fred Flanagan, and North Melbourne's Les Foot. The forwards are Richmond's Bill Morris, last year's Brownlow medalist, Essendon's John Coleman, and East Fremantle's Jack Sheedy. And the followers are Carlton's Jack Howell, Perth's Merv McIntosh, and South Fremantle's Steve Marsh. All right, good to see. Uh, good to see. Coleman there at full forward in the team, and there's a few demons in there yeah, as well. First year player at full forward in the team of the year. Don't mind that. And you'd be happy that uh, Shane McGrath, the demons full back, is in there, and Don Corner next to him. Huge, considering as you mentioned a couple of times, Ollie Greve. I mean, he's an absolute superstar. So McGrath's done pretty well to get that position off him. Yeah. I think. Um, which gets us to finals, Charlie. It gets us to the finals, which we love. So the first final, semi final, first final. So, as we mentioned, uh, Collingwood couldn't quite get the job done to get that double chance. Yes. So, Essendon Collingwood at the MCG. 
Here we are. Yes, so Essen and Collingwood at the G there. They're third and fourth on the ladder, playing off against each other in front of 87,700 people. Uh, and uh, Timmy, tell All us right. what happened. So it was a, a good day for Essendon. Look, Essendon were quite yeah, calm and relaxed before the, before the game. They had strains of piano accordion relaxing them in the rooms. Well, you've got to you've got to think as you've said. They're on a, the hottest of hot streaks at the moment. I can't you can't imagine they yep. weren't feeling like anyone was getting in their way, were they? No. Um, so, Jock was really like he stirred his team to the challenge of winning the next three in a row to take out the premiership. Um, he really wanted to make sure the Pies took care of Coleman. He making sure they had them well covered, and this this happened. He he didn't make a peep in the opening quarter, Coleman. Uh, and incredibly, to start the game, no team kicked a goal in the first 14 minutes until Jack Thompson of Collingwood broke through. Um, but Essendon still took a two-goal lead, looking for the decoy, doing a bit of a Melbourne and yeah. not kicking to Reynolds all the time, uh, not kicking to Coleman all the time. <laughs> uh, but in the second quarter, Coleman ripped them apart. The Bombers themselves kicked seven goals to two, and the game was all but over. Collingwood made some wholesale changes to the team, but the second half saw the Bombers just as dominant. Coleman ran out with six... Essendon won by 82, and so it was that Jock McHale coached in his 713th and last game of football. Unbelievable, isn't it? At least his last game was a final. I think that's, you know, that's fitting. Yeah, so uh, Essendon, Essendon, the last team that beat him. Who Do you know who the first team that beat him were? First team that beat him in 1912. Who was great in 1912? Was it Carlton? It wasn't. It was Melbourne. Okay, I'll take it. Fantastic. Yeah. We've bookended <laughs> his career. Yeah. Wonderful. So, yeah, so as you said, just that second quarter, I mean, Collingwood and Essendon quarter time, two goals to 4-1. And then that second quarter, Essendon kicked seven goals to Collingwood's two. And that was basically the end of it, really. Yeah, it exploded. So the final score, Collingwood's 8-6-52 to Essendon's 2016-136. Doesn't matter if you're a little bit inaccurate if you're kicking that many goals. Who doesn't? Uh, Which, yeah, as we said, ended Collingwood's campaign and and Jock's coaching career uh, and led us on to the second semi final, which is uh, North Melbourne Carlton. Yeah, a repeat of the game they played two weeks earlier. Yeah, so in front of 70,856 people at the G, uh, Carlton got off to a strong start. And what, what they did happened? look, it was an overcast overcast day. Um, the game was much closer than the one they'd had two weeks previous, and North weren't as daunted by the stakes mm. because they had the double chance, so that kind of helped. Um, there were never more than a few goals in this game. North took a slender lead at half time, partly due to superior play and partly due to Carlton's yeah. inaccuracy, having kicked five goals nine. Uh, but after the break, uh, the, the Blues really improved their play and proved to be too strong through the middle of the ground. Um, by three-quarter time, Carlton had closed to within a goal, but should have been further. Should have been in front with more shots on goal, having five more scoring shots. Uh, the last quarter, the Blues kicked six goals to three to run out two goals winner, two goal w- winners, and book a place in the grand final. Yeah, a bit of a yo-yo in your It Would have been a good one to watch that one. Yeah, absolutely. Ken Baxter kicked seven for Carlton, and for North, Les Rees and Digger Ryan were solid in defence, with Jock Spencer kicking six uh, against Ollie Grieve. Yeah. That's which is a massive, uh, massive thing to be able to do. Which, uh, which then takes us on to the prelim. So North coming up against Essendon, fourth versus first. Yeah. So in front of six. Yes, yeah, sorry, Tim. And 
Yeah, I was just going to say it's a um, North and Essendon have this weird rivalry that it, it's there's many times we meet through history or like there's been those times where we block them from joining the league but we always seem to be there to kind of beat them at times it seems so we, <laughs> when they played earlier this year I remember and Andy McGrath was talking about the rivalry and he was like yeah they build it up as this big kind of rivalry but we don't we don't yeah like we look to our rivals as Collingwood and Carlton but they think we're well I guess that makes sense because you're looking you look at the club's as your rivals are the ones that have always been in your way, whereas North have never really been in your way. You just keep screwing them over. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, we've been in their way. It's very true. So, yeah, yeah. so first verse, first verse fourth here in front of 69,281 people. Uh, could Essendon come from fourth and make the grand final? Mm, so. Was it possible? Couldn't you keep on going? Well, Do you run out of momentum? What's the answer, Tim? Well, look, again, we had some piano accordion in the rooms beforehand to relax us. I play a rendition of Bless Them All was sung by the team as they got ready. Um, but yeah, look, Essendon led all day, but the Northerners never gave up. So the Bombers got to five goal, to a bit of a five-goal lead, but North came back. Ten points down in the last quarter. There was a cruel twist to come, and I'll, I'm describing it here from the North Melbourne point of view from the, the book The North Story. Mm-hmm. Um, Jock Spencer... Jock Spencer shot clearly above his two close-checking opponents, McClure and Brittingham, and brought down the mark. Then followed a sensation. That yelling, screaming, shouting throng was stunned into instant silence. Umpire Jack McMurray Jr. coolly walked up and awarded a free kick to McClure. All the North supporters could do was stand there in an agonized amazement. Apparently, the umpire considered that Spencer had unlawfully planted his feet into his opponent's back, even though the rule clearly allows a player to take a mark on another's back, provided he's going for the ball. Right or wrong, however, the North player had no option but to get on with the game. This uh, kind of sapped their confidence. The Bombers went down and kicked the goal. Um, and then the goal to Don Condon narrowed the margin to five, but Essendon's rejuvenated spirits saw them run out and kick another goal, another two goals in the dying moments to actually win by 17, but it was much closer than the 17 points it looks like there. Yeah, what a what a I was reading about that and trying to sort of understand it. So, so basically, Spencer's taken a specky, and the umpires overturned it because he had feet in the back, which is totally legal. Yeah. Oh. I, like I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to understand it. There must be something more to it than that. Yeah, well, they had all the momentum, but I'm I'm not sure. Very strange, but yeah. So Essendon just screwing it- north again. <laughs> <laughs> that's what you that's yeah. what you do best. So yeah, so final scores there, North Melbourne nine seven sixty one to Essendon's eleven twelve seventy eight. Seventeen point winners. But as you said, Timmy, I think the game was a lot closer than that makes it sound. Absolutely, which gets us to the big day, Charlie. The big dance. Absolutely. Big dance. So, Essendon's if you include the drawn grand final, this is Essendon's fifth grand final in a row. That's amazing. Yeah, of course it is. <laughs> that's huge. Uh, so yeah, let's uh, let's go on the way back when phone and, and have a chat to the captain. Good afternoon, Dick. What a pleasure it is to speak to you this afternoon. Good afternoon, all. Lovely to be speaking to you all as well. Well, after the last couple of years of just being pipped at the post, we thought we might not get a chance to speak to you again. That was definitely in the back of my mind as well. But very nice to get the job done here today and against the old foe as well. Oh, we bet. 
Uh, but taking you back from today first, uh, tell us about how you felt as a team coming into this year after just falling short again in uh, 48. Was there a change in the team or did you guys trust that you still had what it took? Very interesting question. We were honestly heartbroken after last year, knowing that they, you know, we threw away our best chance in the drawn grand final by just not kicking straight. And that next week, Melbourne just had our number and we couldn't get it done. But we, look, we came back at the start of this year with our heads high, knowing that football we'd played the last few years was good enough to win. Uh, we just needed to tweak a few things. And was one of those tweaks a pale young forward, by any chance, Dick? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Look, that really turned us on our head. In that first game, we knew we had lightning in a bottle. It was just all about how to use it best um we didn't want to change our whole structure to fit john but we knew we were missing a spearhead and common is the pointiest spearhead in the league yeah he seemed to fit in uh well into an already established team uh didn't he yes uh he and ted lahine played like they've been together for years ted just you know he had that knack of creating space for john to lead into and he got a lot of the ball himself as well um, but even with the young star in your team, you wound up sitting eighth after round 11, uh, losing a bit of experience across the board throughout the year. Well, losing the likes of Bushby and Equid and Seth Ruddle was always going to be hard on us. Uh, they were near impossible to replace, but look, I think our biggest problem lay in how wet the winter was. We loved to pass quickly, and look, those muddy conditions just weren't conducive to the brand of football we wanted to play. I knew we'd get better as the weather improved, and, and we did. And that you did with a combination of better weather and more, a bit more confidence and managed to win the next eight on the trot to finish fourth on the ladder. Uh, must have felt challenging not having that double chance, though. Yes, we were going so well that we weren't too worried, though. We knew only one other team in, uh, in Carlton had won from fourth in the current system and, you know, we didn't want to let them keep that record to themselves. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so a lot of confidence coming into that final against Collingwood. How did you plan to play against Jock McHale's uh, Magpies? We just continued to play as we had been. We had confidence in our setup, and we also knew that Collingwood had been struggling to run out entire games for a few years now. So, uh, look, our big win gave us confidence. So to keep going on with what we started, uh, look, we knew we could still get better. Uh, as we heard, uh, apparently there was a lot of criticism of your uh, game coming from the playing group themselves. <laughs> Uh, you heard, did you? Yeah, look, we watched some footage during the week and it highlighted to us that we could improve. Um, yeah, a, f a few yips and things, but it was good to know we weren't getting complacent with our football. Now, the prelim against North seemed to give you a bit of a tougher time. Uh, the pace of their side kept you on your toes, and especially in that second half, didn't it? Well, yes, but we used our skill and marking targets to control the ball and take the space out of the game. It was ours to lose, and look, they did come back from... 30 points down in the third to give us a bit of a scare there. Well, they also seemed to subdue uh, John Coleman's influence, didn't they? Did that uh, worry you coming into the grand final? Not as much as it seemed to worry the media. We perhaps uh, relished not going into the grand final as favourite, and we didn't think that anyone could keep Coleman quiet for two weeks in a row. All right, so leading into today's game, you were thoroughly targeted by a physical Carlton. Um, did you think your team were thrown off their game at all? No, not at all. It's what we expected coming from, you know, a larger, stronger side. Uh, but their eye for the player and not the ball cost them a few frees and uh, gave us a couple of shots on goal. We started to get away from them by the end of the quarter. Oh, look, at that time, though, there was a bit of errant kicking, uh, though, Dick. Uh, did some people in your side forget that uh, Common was playing? <laughs> yeah, maybe. Uh, could have been grand final jitters. Uh, they get the better of everyone, as we know. Uh, but to be in the lead at quarter time was a good sign and let us calm to take advantage and... 
you know, use our opportunities in the second. Okay, so at one stage you had an 18-point lead. Nice, but definitely not something you could just defend, and Carlton kept coming. <laughs> they certainly did. We were lucky they were errant in front of goal. Four points that could have easily been four goals and put us back behind it. But, you know, we straightened up and managed to kick a few ourselves. So that led to a 27-point lead at the main break, and it looked like uh, Coleman was going to stay quiet again for the second week in a row with only six points to his name, and I'll agree holding him very well. What did you guys do? Yeah, we kept finding other avenues to goal. With uh, Grieve tied up and chasing John around the ground and doing a great job of it, it gave our other forwards the space to kick some goals themselves. Uh, we're not quite as accurate as usual, but our pace allowed for plenty of shots and we managed to kick five for the, the quarter and, you know, Coleman only nabbed one of them. And that meant a 51-point lead coming into the last quarter with uh, Carlton only managing to kick one to your five. Uh, Dick, did you think it was yours at that stage? Uh, look, I've lost in enough grand finals to know that you never count your chickens before they hatch, guys. Um, we get the pressure on and, you know, we also really wanted Coleman to get his 100th for the year. But uh, knowing how he'd been playing so far in the game and, uh, and now we know that he was actually carrying an illness, that meant he was very close to missing today. Yeah, we didn't want anyone to know but that he wasn't in great shape. But, uh, you know, a couple of big knocks he copped in the first quarter didn't help him either. So what made you think he could turn it around in the last quarter? You haven't met John, he's capable of anything. We targeted him and, you know, he got it done. And Even with that terrible miss from about five metres out. And how fitting, Dick, that it was you that uh, gave him the mark to kick his 100th yes, goal. Yes, look, it, uh, it felt good to be part of it, fellas. Uh, not even better, but, you know, even better than that was uh, the final bell sounding not too long afterwards. And, look, a fun fact for you all, uh, if you cast your minds back to round one, John actually kicked the first goal in about the first 10 seconds of the season. So, you know... He had the first goal of the season, and today he kicked the last goal of the season. So uh, we, we're just on top of the moon. Yes, well, we can only imagine. Well, congratulations from all of us here at uh, the Kick to Kick podcast. Pass on our congratulations to John as well. 100 goals in his first VFL year. What a way to finish. Thanks, boys. A pleasure to chat. Um, all right. Well, Charlie, the Bombers finally... I've, I've waited three three episodes now to, to get a premiership again. Oh, it's been frustrating. Finally. So, uh, goal kickers. Essendon kicks six. Sorry, for Essendon. Coleman six. Roll three. Jones two. Syme two. Hutchie two. Leon Reynolds and McEwen with one. For Carlton, uh, K Baxter one. Bill, B Baxter one. Garvey one. Hands one. Howe one. Turner one. Best for Essendon. McClure, May, Hutchinson, Coleman, Brittingham and McDonald. I mean, yeah, um, and that- it's an interesting one there, say, saying that, uh, that Coleman was one of the best because I, I don't know whether he really – like, if you kick six goals, you're going to be named in the best. But he didn't really turn up until – I mean, as, as we just heard, he was sick and, he you know, he wasn't in his best form. But, yeah, yeah. I'm glad he got his 100. He deserved it. Yeah, and what better way than to do it in the grand final as well? I know, unbelievable, just before the siren. I mean, he kicked as much goals as Carlton themselves. Um, we've actually got a little anecdote here as well from Jack Jones from when we chatted to him Charlie which we'll play yes yeah what a what a um, incredible opportunity was and I know we've mentioned it before but to be able to speak to Jack um, before he passed and then and hear the stories from him about what had happened you know what happened and I especially loved you know yeah hearing about uh Coleman and and that side of things and and all the people he played with and yeah it was incredible. Well, 1949, we used to get two tickets. I go, one to be mother, one to be wife to go, right? Yep. 
all pie to go in. So I get to the ground and I go up to the gate, the player's gate, I've got a ticket. So I take my gear out, we used to take it ourselves, now they get it carried for us. Yeah, of course. And they said, you're not getting in, I know who you are, but you're not getting in without a ticket. I said, oh, this is lovely. <laughs> Grand final, I can't get in to play. <laughs> to play? Yeah, I tell them, said, this is a true story. Very true. Took a howl to Carlton Ruckman, who we were playing that day. Yeah. In 49. Jack, what's the matter? You look a bit worried. I said, oh, I left me tickets at home. I told her, like. <laughs> he said, oh, leave it to me, I'll get you in. So he's gone. So he worked up to the gate and gave his ticket. Started walking through the, the click turnstiles in those days. He said, by the way, mate, a bloke on the gate, he said, I've never met that bloke in my life. Actually, he'd say that. Yeah. He walked about three paces with a, a glassing bag that we used to have in the cake our gear yeah. over his head. Turned around and said, I'll go around to your room, Shaq, and, and, and tell them that you haven't got a ticket, you left it alone. Yeah. <laughs> and the secretary came around, he blew the tripe out of me. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so I nearly got locked out. I never, the other grand finals I played in, nobody got a ticket. <laughs> yeah, that's. <laughs> Well, one time there, I was at a photo of the age, and uh, my boss wanted sick and I go. He gave me a time off from work to go in about well, half past four in the morning. It was in the queue outside one of the where they used to sell the tickets. Yeah. Yep. And uh, and uh, Bob Pratt, the great cop, yeah. he yeah. came up and said, "Jack, can you get me some tickets?" I said, "No, I've 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 got to get enough for the the boss. I can't get any more, Bob." I didn't know him, he'd come, I knew who he was, yeah. but I didn't actually know him. Anyway, the, the, the photo, it was in the Herald Sun. <laughs> in the Herald in those days. Yeah. And then, then I got into trouble with Reynolds. What are you doing now out there? I'm all playing in the grand final the weekend. There's a lot of stories. Yeah, of course there are. You'd be a... here all night. Yeah. <laughs> More than that. All right, so the second premiership, Charlie, was won by? Robert. Um, starring Jack Mueller as well. Yes. They defeated so, Essendon 112 to 68 as a curtain raiser. Absolutely flogged them, mate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um, all right. So some retirees before we get to the, uh, the our stats. Yes. Uh, Jack Dyer, the big one. Huge. 312 games, which is a league record now. 443 goals, two flags. Huge. should say six. he played 16 games for Victoria as well. Yeah. For that time, massive. Uh, we've got Jack Graham of South Melbourne, 227 games, 233 goals. We know he was their captain in the last few years. Uh, Leo Merritt of Richmond, 170 games, one flag. Wally Buttsworth <laughs> of Essendon, 188 games, only two flags. He missed this one. Um also a winner of the McCracken Name Award. Yeah. Melbourne's Wally Locke. So Wally Locke had been with Melbourne since I think 36. He'd been, he's been with them for quite a while. Uh, only played in one flag though, which was 41. He missed four seasons during the war. And Claude Curtin, uh, Fitzroy in one season at North, 97 games, 276 goals. All right. So Timothy, I'll ask you this question. Who won the premiership in 1949? The Mighty Bombers. <laughs> the 70, mighty Bob. 73 points, a record grand final margin. 
getting the job done. Unbelievable. Style. I tell you what, you wouldn't have wanted a close one again. It'd kill you, wouldn't it? No. It need, no, it yeah, it yep. needed to be a good one. Uh, Tim, who was the uh, the VFL's leading goal kicker in 1949? It was John Coleman. Uh, 100 goals in the season and 85 goals. Sorry, 85 goals for the season, 100 for the season plus finals. Yeah. So he would have won Coleman anyway, wouldn't he? Yes, himself. He would have won his own Coleman. He would have won his his own. Yeah, great. Uh, Timothy, who won the Brown though? It was Ron Clegg of South Melbourne. It was also Colin Austin, we have to say as well, on Countback. Oh, yes, it was. Yes, you, you're correct. It was a very interesting year for the for the uh, the Brownlow Medal. Uh, who was the wooden spoon winner, Charlie? Uh, the Maybloons, Hawthorne. It was with their eighth wooden spoon. Oh God! And it would have really cut them up seeing North Melbourne up the top of the ladder, who are, you know usually down the bottom with them. Seriously, coming at the same time. There you go. the The highest score was Geelong, twenty five goals, seventeen, one hundred and sixty seven. Um, we'll have to ask Kaz who he thinks the McCracken Name we'll Award winner is, whether uh, Motorbike Harley retains or here, here, is, here are the options for him. We've got William Metherington, uh, sorry, William Merrington, Harry Mayle, Norm Black, Joe Churchman, Ron Pays, Angus Abbey, Warren Canning, Barry Bretland, Alan Hickenbotham, Eddie Goodyear, uh, Jack Gaffney, Mike Woods, Alan Tyne, or Bernie Baxter. So there's a few options for him there. Okay, the prestigious name award goes to Alan Tyne. Can you just imagine rolling off the tongue? Alan Tyne, a bit like Valentine. Thank you for the suggestion, Tim. Premiership tallies as of 1949. We have Collingwood with 11, Essendon with 9, Carlton 8, Fitzroy 8, Melbourne 6, Richmond 5, Geelong 3, South Melbourne 3. Beautiful. Um... And look, Charlie, that that's us for the done for the forties as well. The forties are finished. Which, on a personal level, for bombers and demon supporters, has been really good. Three flags each. It has. It's been a good time. It's been a great time. Those those tallies are looking far healthier for both clubs now. Indeed, which is nice. But yeah, I can't believe we got to the end of the forties. It's we're getting closer to uh to the times that people actually remember, as you said before. <laughs> um. Now, we, uh, we do have a special episode coming up next. We sat down with Glenn McFarlane to talk about Jock McHale and celebrate his career a little bit after he retired from 49. So we'll, we'll be putting that up soon. As, yeah, yeah, absolutely. What, it was a great yeah. chat. Uh, phenomenal to, to, for, for Glenn to give us his time. We're very appreciate, appreciative of that. And he was fantastic to just chat about footy with, wasn't he? It was great. Absolutely. Uh, but yeah, that that draws us to a, the close for another episode, Charlie. It certainly does. So forty nine done, nineteen fifty. Here we come in the second half of the the fifties in the second half of the twentieth century. Can you believe it? Um, yeah, I can't. no, it's I been really can't. it's it's kept us busy in lockdown doing this, which has been fantastic, and hopefully it's kept um, it everyone has. busy listening at home as well. I did want to give, and I know we've given a shout out a shout out many times, but um, the book. That we've got uh, the grand finals book, uh, which is where we get a lot of our information from uh, for our grand final interviews, especially, and some direct quotes and things like that. Um, 
it is we're very lucky to have such fantastic uh, resources that Absolutely. we can use, aren't we, Jimmy? I remembered my little snippet I wanted to mention as well that Essendon, Essendon became the uh, only the third oh. team to win from fourth position. That's so. right. Yeah, and only this only the second since in the new system. Yeah. In the Paige McIntyre system. Yeah, because technically... The first being Carlton. Yeah, well, yeah, because t- technically Fitzroy did it in 1916, but there were only four teams. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, but yeah, but especially in the Paige McIntyre system, when one and two have a double chance, massive. So Carlton did it mm. in 31, I believe. No, Carlton did it in 45. 45, okay. All right. Yeah, yep. the bloodbath. Oh, yeah, of course, of course. Yeah, so there you go. Um, well... We'll leave you uh, with uh, the the roundup, Big Red's roundup. But uh, until 1950, enjoy our special interview about Jock. It's a very interesting one. Even if you don't barry for Collingwood, it's a great thing to listen to. Um, and uh, we'll yeah. we'll see you guys for 1950. Yep. Timmy, it's nice. It's been nice, just the two of us. It has. It's been uh, yeah, nice and intimate. <laughs> I'm gonna light some candles. Oh, lovely. <laughs> Beautiful. All right. Well, until next time, guys. Enjoy Big Red's roundup and hooroo. Big Red's local footy roundup for your state and suburban football action. Sinking our teeth into grassroots football. G'day, kick team. Welcome to the roundup for the 1949 season of football from around this great country. First, we take a look at the Sandful, where in the 70th season of competition, we have North Adelaide securing their sixth minor premiership and their sixth premiership overall in a convincing 23-point win over West Torrens Football Club. 42,500 fans attended the game, which was played at the Adelaide Oval. The Ken Farmer Award for the Sandful leading goal kicker for the season was won in the, for the second year in a row by Colin Churchett from Glenelg with 72 goals for the season. The McGarry Medal in the 1949 season was tied between Ron Phillips of North Adelaide and Alan Crabb from Glenelg with 18 votes apiece. This was the sixth tie in the history of the McGarry Medal, which is one of the oldest uh, league medals in Australian history. Over in the Waffle, where they head into their 65th season of competition, West Perth have overcome three years of grand final losses in a row to secure their 10th premiership in a 30-point win over Perth. This was also Perth's first ever grand final appearance after 27 years in the competition. The 1949 Waffle Grand Final was played in front of 34,500 fans at Subiaco, and the final scores for the game were 16-13-109 to 12-7-79. Our leading waffle goal kicker for the season was George Prince of East Fremantle with 82 goals for the season. And the Sandover medal was won by Gordon Mafina from Claremont Football Club. Over in the VFA and in the 68th season of competition, the premiership was won by the Williamstown Football Club, defeating Oakley by three points in that grand final. It was the fifth premiership for Williamstown in the club's history, which was a rich and full history to this point. The 1949 grand final was played in front of 40,000 fans at the St Kilda Cricket Ground, who were there to witness a tight game with the final scores being 10-5-65 to 8-14-62. Those present at the game all witnessed a truly remarkable ending to the game. Here's an excerpt from a local paper at the time. With one minute to go, Williamstown trailed by three points and Vic Hill from Oakley just marked some 70 metres from goal. Bomber Wells from Williamstown guarded the mark and he was twice called back by umpire Bill Wright. Hill, realising that time uh, was ticking away, decided to take a little bit more time and place the ball on the ground while he pulled up his socks. 
Wells appealed to the umpire on the grounds of time-wasting, and Wright, the umpire, agreed. Giving the ball to Wells, who played on, had three bounces and lobbed the ball 55 metres to the goal square, where Walker from Williamstown took it from the pack and gold to win the game with 20 seconds to go before the final siren. So can you imagine just being at that game? What a fantastic ending it must have been. Truly heartbreaking, though, if you were uh, from the Oakley Football Club. The 1949 VFA season was also an important moment in football history around the country, uh, as during the season the association agreed to join the Australian National Football Council, uh, effective from the 1950 season, ending a decade of division in Victorian football. So subsequently, it was the final season in which the throw pass was legal in the association. The association's leading goal kicker was won by Keith Warburton from Brighton, who kicked 90 goals in the home and away season and 101 goals overall. The JJ Liston medal for the association's best player of the season was won by Jack Blackman from Preston, who polled 58 votes. He narrowly beat Roy Harper from Sandringham, who was second with 56 votes. Over in the VAFA, Uni Blacks have won four in a row, beating Ormond by a whopping 60 points. And we have, North, uh, we have Newtown and North Launceston going back-to-back down in Tassie. And Sandhurst have completed a three-peat in the Bendigo Football League. And with that, we wrap up the roundup for the, for the 1949 season of football from around this great country. Until next time, kick straight. To find out more about the Kick to Kick team and the sources we use, visit our website www.kicktokickpodcast.com. You can contact us via email at kicktokickpodcast at gmail.com or find us on Twitter and Instagram under at kicktokickpod. Thanks so much for listening.